Hi, this is Mike McNamara, and you're listening to All Marine Radio on your home for it, the one and only All Warrior Radio Network. For those of you who never heard of the background of this little piece of music, it's angry music, right? It's Eminem. From the album Eight Mile. And if you listen to it for a few minutes, uh, you, you know, it's angry music. And that's why I use it. And today uh, it's, uh, it's the appropriate bumper music to, uh, I don't know, at least it is for me. Uh, to introduce uh, my friends in this segment uh, that we'll talk about our thoughts on uh, some of the stuff we've witnessed um, and the, the events that have led up to it. So joining me from McAllen, Texas, McAllen, Texas is Tim Lynch. Tim, good morning. How are you? I'm doing fine, Matt. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, Will Cosentini from the greater Kansas City area. Will, how are you? I'm good. No more angry than normal. Which is angry, straight up angry. So just just so nobody thinks that's not angry. Uh, and from uh, San Clemente, California, Jeff Kenny joins us. Jeff, how are you? I'm good. I'm chewing on a great big spleen sandwich right now. Really? Well, congratulations. The uh, let me tell you spleen what, sandwich. What we're, what we're gonna what we're gonna do this morning is is give our thoughts on on. Uh, we all just watched our nation fail in in a big way. So uh we're going to give you our thoughts on 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 that failure and uh and then we'll kind of kick that around. And then the second thing we're going to talk about is the situation that the commandant of the Marine Corps finds himself in. Um and I'm will kind of as we were talking about this before we came on, uh I think appropriately articulated the situation that General Berger finds himself in which is he is on the proverbial horns of a dilemma relative to a lieutenant colonel who um, violated the Uniform Code of Military Justice but has sparked a huge, huge debate in the country. and uh, But doing it in uniform initially, uh, then doubling down on it and then tripling down on it, uh, there's a thing called good order and discipline. And those rules apply to everybody. And so we're going to talk about uh, the situation the commandant finds himself in. So um, let me, uh, I'll go first uh, on this. And I'm going to just, I'll give you my thoughts on uh, on what I've watched here. And uh, I got, I woke up uh, probably about 3.30 this morning with this stuff in my head. And I got up and, and I, and I actually outlined uh, my comments, which I don't do often, but I did today because of, I think the the importance of this discussion uh today. And uh so number 1, I think that what we've all witnessed is a logical outcome in a nation that has a system that struggles to find quality leaders to lead it both politically and militarily. Political leaders who consistently make terrible strategic decisions many times driven by election cycles and a defense establishment that 
no matter what the circumstances are, rarely speaks truth to power. In my opinion, the emptiest words that we hear on a regular basis on Capitol Hill. Um, What we saw is also the story of failed presidents, their secretaries of defense, their secretaries of state, and their national security advisors. And I want to name them because they they deserve to be made, named. President Bush, Don Rumsfeld, Secretary Gates, Secretaries Powell and Condoleezza Rice, national security advisors under Bush, Condoleezza Rice and Stephen Hanley. Under Barack Obama, Secretary Gates, Panetta, Hagel, and Ash Carter. Secretaries of State Clinton and Kerry, NSAs, James Jones, Thomas Donilon, and Susan Rice. Under President Trump, Secretary Mattis, Secretary Esper, Secretary Tillerson, Secretary Pompeo, NSAs McMaster, John Bolton, and Robert O'Brien. And now, most recently, President Biden, Secretary of Defense Austin, Secretary of State Anthony Blinken, and National Security Advisor Jake Austin. They are the architects of what we've all just watched. It is not an event that happened in the last 12 months or the last election cycle. This disaster in Afghanistan has unfolded over a couple decades. We have military leaders who always find a reason not to resign. And we've talked about that on this program for a couple years. And they have thus escorted the nation down a road that has led to capitulation to an inferior enemy that has strategic consequences that will unfold before us as enemies recalibrate and exploit a humanitarian crisis that can only be laid at, at our feet, right? And as you're watching, right, the this sentiment across the nation as we watch this, you know, I think most people would call that a moral injury. And, 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 and one of the worst parts of that is, I think, for those of us who've served and been around the world, the world needs the United States to be good. It needs the United States to stand up for what's right. Because nobody else can do it like we can do it. When I talk about military leaders, I want to name them, right? And I, and I will go chronologically, starting in the year 2000. General Tommy Franks, General John Abizade, Admiral William Fallon, Martin Dempsey, General Dave Petraeus, General James Mattis, General Lloyd Austin, General Joseph Bodel, General Kenneth McKenzie, all commanding generals of CENTCOM. And then generals that led in Afghanistan, Franks, Abizade, Fallon, General David McKiernan, General Stanley McChrystal, General David Petraeus, General John Allen, General Joe Dunford, General John Campbell, General John Nicholson, General Austin Miller, and then ultimately General McKenzie takes over the final operations in Afghanistan. All those military leaders have helped deliver this thing. Okay, which leads us to the the events of the last four months. President Biden's decision to support the Trump-negotiated agreement and to leave no residual force behind will be a decision that even people like Richard Engel yesterday were saying is one of the worst decisions that he's ever seen in his lifetime and possibly one of the worst foreign policy decisions ever made by a president. I know that that the president of the United States was lobbied by members of the DOD to leave a residual force that could have been stationed in the middle of nowhere and there's 
We have airstrips in the middle of nowhere in Afghanistan. And the reason that's significant is you can secure that pretty easily. A residual force of 3000 with a price of $2 billion a year is what I've heard different people say. All right? And for that, for that small price with that footprint, and I will tell you this, that, that, you know, I had a conversation with somebody who I won't name who said, in, and that, this is probably in 2017, that this is the goal that we're working towards to be able to do exactly that, all right? And that force would have supported the government, right? It would have supported the Afghan National Army. It would have supported our strategic presence in the region. It would have denied... Afghanistan to Islamic extremists. It would have denied a victory to the Taliban and Islamic extremists who are now proclaiming that and who are now emboldened. And it would have maintained U.S. credibilities with our allies, with our enemies, and also with the Afghan people. The flawed or ignored intel assessment in the planning process that led to Bagram being unceremoniously evacuated in the middle of the night. Okay, that's an important thing. And as a planner, it's your job to plan for the worst case scenario. And we will hear more about that this in the upcoming months. But the intel people are saying, oh, no, 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 no. There were elements among us who did present this as a possible course of action. And so whoever decided to unasked Bagram, has to answer for that. That This whole series of reckless decisions, right, culminates last Thursday. And, and, and I think, and I should have started this by saying, the inexcusable part of this failure is the fact that it all occurs in the aftermath of Vietnam, something that every one of us had shoved down our throats by these guys who were senior to us, who raised us, that never again will we do things like this. Never again. So the reckless decisions, in my opinion, culminate. If you if you believe the, the notes from the political article that were evidently given to political by two separate sources, right? The classified notes, right? You have the Secretary of Defense, the Chairman, and, and a few other people deliberating on whether to keep an, a gate open at Kabul International Airport. Supposedly because the Brits are moving people from the Barron Hotel through that gate. We know that the on-scene commander is the person that, that should be making that decision. We know that. The State Department is, accelerated the threat, increased the th- threat. Force protection measures move with that, but they didn't in this case. And the thing is, we know better than to do this. But like 20 years of mistakes, for whatever reason, we seem incapable of making good decisions in America's strategic interest. And now we can't even do it at the tactical level. And that results in the death of 11 Marines, a sailor, a soldier, approximately 200 civilians with almost as many wounded. And so to to wrap up my comments about this, this is the worst kind of failure because it's self-inflicted. Self-inflicted by people who won't tell the truth when it comes to a crossroads in their career. I can stand up and say we don't have enough people here. And if 
I don't get the right answer, then my, my moral responsibility to the nation is to resign. And if you won't do that, what does that make you? Does it make you a moral coward? I, I'm pretty sure that it does. And people will say, wow, Mac, that's pretty fucking harsh. No, what's pretty harsh is going to pick up your son or daughter at a hangar in fucking Dover and watching the president look at his watch and then, and then tell you about his son who died of cancer. That's pretty fucking harsh, and that's pretty fucked up. And the worst part, the shameful part, is that we've all studied Vietnam. We knew better, and we still did it anyway. So, with that said, um, Tim, your comments? I'd like to start at the top and work my way down. And noting that President Biden's role in this fiasco is irrelevant. The one actor in this whole cascade of failure who acted exactly as you expect him to act, who demonstrated the consistency that he's had for 40 years of constantly choosing the wrong choice when it comes to important decisions, was expected. Uh, What do you expect from, from President Biden? He acted completely within his character. What we have here is elections have consequences. And one of the consequences of this election was that on April 14th, Biden declared he would have all the troops out by 911 because he thought that was a good idea, you know, stick it to Bush and the deplorables and all those people that voted for Trump by making it 911 the date till we get out. That idea lasted five seconds. And everything that happened subsequent to that was predicated on getting the military out well ahead of 911 because of the stupid comment that he had made off the cuff, demonstrating once again that Joe Biden is Joe Biden that we've known for 40 years. Of course, he said something stupid like that. What do you expect? We have a chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff who actively undermined President Trump, bragged about it. You can read it uh, all about it on the Axios series called Off the Rails, who had a moral obligation to not allow the president to do stupid shit. He reminded us of this obligation incessantly during the Trump years. But let's ignore Trump. Let's ignore Biden and Trump. Irrelevant. Let's go back to the 1960s with President Johnson and Secretary of Defense McNamara on their hands and knees, selecting individual targets in North Vietnam that they would then notify the Swiss they were going to hit, who would notify the North Vietnamese, because Johnson thought it was humane to allow them to move the innocents out of the way. Of course, the innocents stayed. What happened was they bought triple uh, AAA in, anti-aircraft artillery in. And that's why every time our troops went to bomb something, they're like, holy shit, how do they have such effective AAA? They had AAA because Johnson was telling them where they were going to be. And we ignore that. We ignore that. That's okay. Johnson retired. He was a little bit disgraced. Those, those, those chairmen of the Joint Chiefs at the time wrote books lamenting on how it's a stain on their eternal honor that they did not interfere and say, no, 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 we're not doing stupid shit. Right. We're, they're supposed to protect us from the folly of our civilian leaders. And they did not. We said and, and, and granted, I, I, I was I was vehemently opposed to this whole idea that you could do a neo out of Kabul. I correctly predicted the problem was 100,000 Afghans that would show up to interfere. I was wrong. It was 200,000 Afghans. And what I never predicted was the only thing that saved us was the Taliban stepping in to drive those civilians and keep them away from our operation. 
The British were walking around in, in platoon and squad strength, getting their people back in. They got enough of the commandos back in the lines that they're talking about standing up an Afghan commando regiment, just like the Gurkhas. That's how many they pulled out. We pulled out shit, jack shit. And we did not leave that, the confines of that air base where we were forced into policy to procedures that left us entirely vulnerable because our leaders didn't trust us to go out and secure Kabul, which, and I know Kabul better than any city in America, having spent so much time there, was easy to do with two battalions. And the Taliban asked us to do just that, and we refused because our leaders don't trust us to go out and do the right thing. And we know, we know that the Taliban would understand that a Kabul being invested by Marines and paratroopers who they have intimate familiarity with, because the paratroopers were pretty good at mauling their asses too. They never gave up an inch. They, they didn't trust us to do what the Brits did with squads. And as a result, we lost 13 people in an unavoidable and, 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 and completely unnecessary manner because we know that we need standoff to do these neo-evacuations. We know that we need to dictate the tempo of operations. We know that we've got to slow down and get organized. Otherwise, we'll leave shit behind like, like, uh, like dogs and American citizens and Afghans. The mission was to go into Kabul and take out American citizens, diplomats, citizens of our allies, and Afghans with SIV and P2 and P1 visas. We know that what did not happen was American citizens were not taken out. There's plenty of other citizens probably left behind. It doesn't look like of only a small percentage of our, of our SIV and P2 and P1 visa applicants made it through, yet hundreds of unqualified, unscreened Afghans made it on. And, 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 and we're going to call this a victory? No, no, this, this is, this, this is, is, turns my stomach. So I look at my browser as I scan across my browser, the first article. This is the real story of the Afghan biometric database abandoned to the Taliban. It's from MIT. They're explaining exactly how you use these things to track down entire families. The next article, Joe Biden leaves interpreter stranded in Afghan who saved his life in the 2008 snowstorm. That's interesting. Next article. Taliban folk singer killed for the, for the crime of making music. That's a haram. No longer allowed. Next story. Pregnant American kicked in stomach by Taliban after stranded by Joe Biden. Next story. In exclusive in secret text, U.S. military officials lament leaving behind Kabul. In that article, that article, by the way, is text from Michael Yon. He refers to a, a, a conversation of a major refusing entry to a five American citizens. Those were the wife and the, and the, and the children of the interpreter. I would, that, those were the guys we've been talking about all along. So that's kind of like using old quotes to flesh out a story. Next one. Joint Chiefs of Staff Miley undermined Trump Pentagon officials Afghan report. And it's on and on and on. Nothing but an unmitigated disaster. And there's no there's no explaining this. There's no excuse for this. It is in, it is impossible for me to assume that these men have any integrity whatsoever. Otherwise, they would be resigning in disgrace because this is on the military leadership. They're supposed to protect us from Biden, not allow him to just exercise his folly because he lives in a simulated reality. Now, reality, reality is interfered with it. And what do they do? They fucking treat with the enemy. Oh, that's very, very common in our military past, is it not? Oh, it's not, is it? And with that, I think I, I, I have to be quiet because I, this, this is, this is bullshit. It's just bullshit.
Fuck. Sorry. Will, Jeff? Um, I know Will likes to go last, so he can pick scabs off the rest of us who went before him, so I'll let him continue that tradition. But um, the uh, yeah, I agree with, I think Timmy's thing was real good. And, uh, and I agree with 90% of what you said, Mac, except I wouldn't, um, you basically just read off a roster of anybody who had anything to do with Operation Enduring Freedom since 2001. And I mean, although to a certain extent that's true, it dilutes the blame, the more egregious blame that others should suffer. And uh, with this one here, you know, everybody kind of passed the, the ball of shit around about how good the Afghan security forces were. <clears throat> you know, since they stood up, basically, you know, and they're getting better and better. And, and uh, even though there is, uh, you know, advisors at the at the sharp end who are telling them, yeah, they're pretty good as long as we're with them. But the big problem you got is up at top, they get cheated. They get cheated out of their pay. They get cheated out of their leave. They're, you know, it's a, it's a tradition of embezzlement. And we would get lectured. This is the Afghan way. And we would say, you know, another thing they got is they, they rape small young soldiers and boys in some cases and they would say this is you can't judge that that is a tradition that's gone on 100 years we'd say well their guys are thieves at the top they're fucking embezzling their pay they're stealing gasoline they're stealing enemy and selling it to the to the uh to the enemy in some cases and that's one thing they never fucking that's one thing they never told they never really tried to fix and people at the very top would bring these generals over, like the general of the 201st Corps was brought to the United States. The general of the 200, multiple generals in the 215th Corps brought to the United States. Uh, you know, uh, ministers of, of defense were brought to the United States, and all these guys were lying in their pockets, as was the president, Hamid Karzai. None of them said anything about that, ever, ever. But one thing they were relentless on was the foisting of uh, U.S. and Western values and i put that in quote air quotes on the afghans that that they were relentless in trying to foist that on and that didn't work either but you'd never know that from hearing the you know the pronouncements and so when we get down to the last event which with all the screw-ups that happened before could have worked out okay and here's again where i I disagreed a little bit mac i think three thousand of our guys somewhere in the middle of helmand province or up there you know would would be useless I mean, if, if they're not seen, they're not having any effect. You know, it's not that they couldn't fight their way out of this thing. It's that they wouldn't. And, and uh, whenever we do an operations order, the situation part of the order, you know, as for those of you who are listening who got a little bit of experience, who remember SMEAC, the situation, you know, you have your enemy forces, your friendly forces. They're pretty good on knowing what the enemy forces had. I mean, there's no secret they're moving in province after province once the Trump administration was gone. What we weren't paying attention to was the friendly forces. And so when we left Bagram, we didn't even tell them. We, we, we neglected them. I'll tell you, what kept Helmand Province running when I was there in 2017, 2018, was every day Roger Turner talked to the 215th Corps commander. Every day his staff went over and, uh, you know, and, and parlayed and, and uh, dealt with, with their guys. And they did operations. They planned the operations. They executed them, and we monitored them, and, and uh, we supported it with, uh, with fires from the air. And I'll tell you what, there was not one American face in any of those battles. It was all them. 
And I think if we paid attention to that, they didn't even know what we were doing. And not only did they not know what we were doing at the end, the very end, neither did our partners who were there at NATO. They're like shocked too. You're, whoa, what, what, we're leaving now? What? Oh, yeah. If we had backed up those guys, just, and President Biden says a lot of things I don't agree with. But one thing he did say, he said in July, he laid it out why they should be able to hold. And he was right. They should have been able to hold. But we, they, needed to be, they needed a little bit, a little bit of attention from us. I mean, to me, Iraq and Afghanistan, a lot of, most of the American uh, efforts to win the Marine and Army were heroic. But irrelevant, irrelevant. If, if, the, uh, if you're not leaving behind a bunch of guys who can, on their own, pretty much on their own, handle it themselves. Our thing was we left them totally alone with no warning. We just, and that's an insult to them and their culture, besides being, a, um, you know, besides being a bad way to do business in our culture. And, uh, and we paid for that with, uh, with 13 dead people because we weren't ready to do that non-combatant evacuation operation. Uh, mass has ended. You guys can stay in peace now. Well, yeah, I, uh, you know, in 2000, right after 9-11, I, I said we got this right. Punitive campaign. And it surprised me when we decided to stay. <clears throat> and I've been a proponent of leaving. <clears throat> Excuse me. And part of it is because I don't see that we're ever going to be decisive here. Um and I'm sympathetic to the argument that, you know, we've trained these Afghan security forces. And if we were willing to provide them with some assistance and backup, they could perform well. Um, I would suggest that we are never, we never seriously contemplated how to get them to the point that they didn't need our assistance and backup. Uh, I know in my time, which was the very early days in Iraq, uh, what I saw as sort of a helter-skelter thrown together um, cover story of building Iraqi security forces. I believe the effort in Afghanistan got much more sophisticated and significant. Uh, but it's not clear that we ever had an idea how this was going to, you know, what was our vision for success? I don't know that we ever had one. I don't know if that's a good reason to leave or not. Um, so that's my view on, on, you know, the big strategic thing. I would say in the last two weeks, um, what's been demonstrated is folly and ignorance and malfeasance. Um, you know, just a few statements. I think it was nine days ago, the president's press secretary said it is irresponsible to say that Americans are stranded in Afghanistan. Um, General McKenzie said yesterday we, we couldn't accommodate everyone. We knew they were there and we couldn't accommodate them. The president said we got 90 percent of the people that wanted to come. And then the transcript was corrected. He was supposed to say we got 98 percent because I did my math. Ninety percent, if 5,000 
is 90%. That means we left a lot more than a few hundred. The president also said that there were some that wanted to stay. So we've gone from it's irresponsible to say they're stranded to we couldn't get everyone to the SecDef's press secretary saying, well, Americans get stranded all the time in different countries. It's come out in the news today, apparently on July 23rd, the president, the secretary, General McKenzie had a phone conversation with the president of Afghanistan, Ghani, and uh, they said you have a perception problem, a perception that you're folding up. And the president of Afghanistan supposedly said, you know, Pakistan is supporting this. We need your help, yada, yada. And the president of Afghanistan was told that you need to change the narrative. And there's the malfeasance. Um, The success narrative that this operation in the last two days was a resounding success is a partisan political narrative. And anyone in, in uniform who spouts that has abandoned their oath to the Constitution. You don't need to reinforce a partisan political narrative. In fact, you should stand more than arm's length apart from it. The the participants of this NEO, they know what they did. Those Marines and those soldiers, they know what they did. They don't need some far-off four-star general uh, to go on and on about what a great success and how brave and everything. They know what they did. So when you're doing that, you have just entered the realm of partisan politics. Uh, You know, the the chairman two weeks ago saying um, there was no one, nothing I saw could have predicted how this went. It had been proven to be a bald-faced liar if he was actually on a call on July 23rd with the president of Afghanistan telling him that you needed to change the narrative that your country is slipping away. So, um, yeah, when we grew up early in the Marine Corps, we, we looked at sort of the senior leadership of the Vietnam era that didn't stand up and tell the truth. And H.R. McMaster wrote a book about it. Um, And here we are, you know, two generations later, here we are. And so what's, what's the conclusion that you can draw? What's the conclusion that you can draw? Is it that, that our constitutional protections about employing the military are just not strong enough. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's bizarre. Um, that you go through and, and I think it's, it's difficult for me to imagine because I was, you know, I was born in 1963, so that the height of Vietnam I was in kindergarten and first grade, but it really ripped the country apart in a lot of ways for all kinds of different reasons. So you would you would think that being that close to the heat and the flame would really chastise 
American military leadership. Um, what, what can you trust people with? And is our Constitution protect us enough from a war of choice? And I'm not saying Afghanistan was a war of choice. It was not a war of choice in the fall of 2001. I don't know when it became a war of choice. But it seems to have become a war of choice and just an utter disaster, disaster in lives and treasure, but also disaster in the loss of integrity uh, that we've had by a lot of senior military people. So and that may be the most significant thing that happened to the country. We know how to generate treasure. We can't regenerate lives. But I got to tell you, that loss of integrity at the top, that's a very dangerous path. So. If I could, if I could rebut Jeff, uh, since he called out my argument, um, that was those numbers, that presence, not my idea, right? Those are people that I've, a host of people I've spoken to in the last couple of weeks that have lamented the nation's course of action saying that there was a better course of action and one that we've essentially been following and Jeff you outline you know you outline part of it in which Americans are not getting killed so the nuances of that in terms of advising and things like that um, are all things that I think would be done underneath that but their point was if you knew what we could, what we were capable of doing, which was keeping the Afghan uh, military afloat, which then in turn keeps the Afghan federal government afloat, which then preserves our strategic presence, blah, 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 blah. If you knew the footprint we, we would have had to do that, right, you would understand that this is a, a, a catastrophe of even greater ma- magnitude. But not too many people n- know that how we had reduced our signature both on the ground and yeah. financially relative to, to the DOD budget. So those are good points, right? Those are right. good points, Mac. And, uh, and here's the thing. I would say the same thing until I went back there in 2017, 2018. And but at that time we had between 10 and 12,000 people still there. And 90% of those people, 90% of them were crowded into either Bagram or the uh, ISAF compound that was, uh, you know, up abutted up, up against the embassy. There are very few people, in, and there was actually nobody, you know, except for some SOCOM folks who are in a, you know, in a in a position to execute ground combat operations. Yeah. You had uh, you had command elements, for lack of a better term, in in what we call task forces. Like Task Force Southwest was the Marine one there in Helmand, and you had one in. The Herat area, one in Masri Sharif, one down in Jalalabad, one in the Kabul area itself, and one over in Kandahar. And and those guys totaled maybe 600 people. My position is that the guy, most 90% of the people clustered in Bagram and uh, and Kabul could have dropped dead and no no Afghan would have known the difference. Right. But th- those, other, those, those other ones were functional, especially Roger Turner and then Ben Watson. Uh, you know, they were masterful. Uh, they had combat experience, sure guys who and Roger was a master at dealing with uh, just like uh, uh, 
you know, the, the colonels, uh, Colonel Kennedy, Paul Kennedy, Colonel uh, Dave Furness, they're remembered by the Afghan commanders of the brigades in their areas. And uh, because they had the light hand, but they had they knew what was going on with, with those other folks. Most of the, the functional advising, you know, was happening with members of their staff. And that was that was appropriate and and uh, and effective. Right. You know, you got the more people you have in there just standing around, you know, the worse it is, both from a, a Western media, you know, purview and both from, you know, a world media purview that's talking about Americans occupying. So I, I don't know what all those folks in Bagram, uh, besides running the folks doing security and run the airfield and the security by the time we left was a, the Georgian, two Georgian battalions advised by American Marines, by that, for that matter. And then, uh, you know, that was the security. And then. Uh, for the uh, for ISAF, you had a bunch of people sending emails to each other from crowded offices, you know, that were like 13 feet apart. You know, although I don't know what the hell that you know that were so that was so important about them. But that's what I mean when I say, you know, uh, we, we we didn't need that many. We didn't need like a full up, you know, combined arms regiment out there ready to to, uh, to rescue the Afghans from a you know a, a massive assault because a massive assault. Isn't what brought the country down, right? It was no, and, and again, and I think down. that that was their, you know, that was that was the the those were the points of the people that I spoke with in terms of, um, right. yeah, this is if you knew what the DOD was advocating for a soft presence, right? right? Uh, to be able, if we needed to, you know, to get yeah. after ISIS and and ISIS K and whatnot, and so that um, an aviation presence certainly. Right, some form of aviation presence that yep. could render support yep. in extremis. You know, the in, let me tell you, the incredible drone operation that, that the, the United States has run over Afghanistan for years. Right, all that would buttress this government and really force the Taliban to deal with them and and not try to steamroll them. And so, and that was yeah. their that was their point. And and again, starting with General Dunford, I think. You know, much work done on the economic signature of the Afghan operation on the budget of the DOD, drawing it down and down and down to, to so that it could be sustainable. And their point was, look, this was dismissed by the president of the United States in April, right? And yeah. and that sets in motion a a series of events where the Afghan believes they're being hung out to dry, and they're not willing mm-hmm. to die. They're not willing to die for it. And so, and and that was so, so when you, so those numbers, both in terms of boots on the ground and and dollars is representative of that discussion that gets dismissed, that leads us, you know, to where we are today. Um, I know Timmy wants to make a point, but I think that Will brought something up um, that's a broader discussion and I'd like to continue it next week. And that is conclusions from this, right? right? Conclusion. I mean, we are a democracy. You know, Will starts the war as president of the United States. I run against him in four years. And what am I campaigning on? I'll end the war, right? And can a democracy fight a conflict that, that spans um, administrations and do the right thing? Or is this constant, you know, uh, for political advantage, for no other reason, for political advantage, you know, will change the course of a conflict, which is not in our strategic interest. But that's what's going to get me elected. So fuck it, I don't really care. And but anyway, yeah. I I mean, th- to me, there's broader 
there's there's broader conclusions for the DOD and broader conclusions for the nation uh, that if you guys don't mind pondering for a week, um, I'd like to kind of visit that a little bit next week because that's a deep question. I mean, especially, I mean, we've done now Vietnam for a second time, and and how does how does a how does a democracy never ever ever do this again? All right, Timmy. I think you hit, I think you hit the nail right in the head there. Yeah, but we're not going to talk. We're not going to talk about it for next till next week. So I'll forget. Okay. <laughs> we'll write some notes. God damn, it. Timmy. I I just wanted to make the point that regardless of what you had on the ground uh, helping the Afghan army, as as Jeff adequately pointed out, those were pretty cheap investments that paid off big dividends. It doesn't matter how big you were; you could not give up Bagram while you had Americans on the ground, and that included our diplomats. And that right there was a decision that cannot be explained away. And it's a decision, I think, that that most every military professional around the world immediately recognized as that's a problem. Uh, I was a little bit better placed because I knew Kabul a little bit better than the average person. But that's a that is a decision that cannot be explained away. And and that's all I wanted to add. Right. And, and again, we talked about that a little bit yesterday, but as a mm-hmm. planner, you have to plan for the spectrum of contingencies. You cannot only plan for, you know, here's what we think is going to happen. You you still have to have assets in place in terms of, well, if the, if it goes here, you know, we'll do this. If it goes here, we'll do that. I mean, they're called branches and sequels, you know, but as a plan, you have to provide for that. It's it, You can't just pull it out of our, your ass or swag it. You know, right. it just doesn't happen. And that's your responsibility to to provide and plan for the spectrum of possibilities and and how this is going to occur, which made that a very, very head scratching decision. I want to switch gears here and talk about um, uh, the commandant on the horns of a dilemma. And uh, the situation is um, it's kind of a leadership question, but uh, a. A lieutenant colonel who I won't name that we all know, but um, but because it really doesn't matter in a very very public way, um, while in uniform, makes a video calling out the leaders of the Department of Defense. Um, he's then um, he then doubles down on that and essentially threatens people. I'm coming for you. Okay, and this is a commission officer in the United States military, in the United States Marine Corps, and then <laughs> triples down on it. I guess yesterday, I haven't seen the documents, but more posting on social media. Uh, so here's my question to you: It's very visible, right? Touch the nerve because um, while we all believe his conduct is is inappropriate, we believe. I, I know. I, I think I speak for all of us, and and things we've said is that we're unanimous in our agreement with the, his sentiment. Okay, that, he, that he initially expressed. The situation the commandant finds himself in is, how does he discipline anybody else? Let's just say a lance corporal threatens somebody, um, the president, the secretary of defense, the chairman or somebody. How does he discipline a lance corporal if you do not discipline a, a highly visible lieutenant colonel? And if the commandant does that, I mean, he will he will be... The shit magnet for every network news program, um, for everybody who has any affinity for the sentiment of, of what the aforementioned lieutenant colonel said. So, 
thoughts on the situation that the commandant of the Marine Corps finds himself in? Is there any way that you and Will's lived in the E ring, right? So, so he, he's more adept at threading this, doing this Texas two step, so to speak, <laughs> than the rest of us. But is there any way that you can't discipline um, an officer that that does what this officer did? <laughs> I say no, but I know I'm smart enough to wait for Will to pick this one apart because I know he knows the ins and outs. So I'm stepping aside. Thank you. All right. Will right now thinking, shit, now I'm known as the guy who knows the ins and outs of the turds. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> yeah, look, you know, I, I uh, in my first 13 years in the Marine Corps, I think I spent seven years in battalions, five years in rifle companies, and I paid for those sins. And... I must have been a concentration camp guard in my previous life. And this is my reincarnation that I did three tours in the Pentagon at the back end. So, um, yeah, I, I think there is, let's just say there is a significant challenge here. Um, and I, I don't, I mean, I'm not connected to this guy. I'm not on Facebook and I'm not connected to him on LinkedIn, but people that, that I am connected with on LinkedIn or connected to them. And so when they put something up, you know, you, you get it on your LinkedIn. And I think I saw something where he had three or 500,000 hits on his, uh, on his picture of his resignation letter. Um, and so it's not an unknown thing in his resignation letter. He requested, that his last day be September 11th of 2021. Um, now, that is a request, uh, and that can be ignored. I, I think the first video was was a little problematic. I think the second video, he potentially put himself in legal jeopardy because I think he did communicate a threat. And... I don't know how you can maintain good order and discipline while you have field grade officers communicating a threat and not adjudicate it in some way. And so, um, you know, you want to take the branch or the sequel, I forget which, because I didn't, I didn't do any of that planning stuff. But let's say that he is charged. And let's say that, that he's offered the opportunity to appear before the commanding general for a article 15 non-judicial punishment. And then let's say that he refuses, you know, then you'll see, you'll see the medal of the man right there. That's for damn sure. If you're given the opportunity to take non-judicial punishment and walk out the door with your resignation, are you going to say, Oh no, I didn't do anything wrong. I'll take my court. <coughs> and that court martial would be at least a special court martial, if not a general court martial, which puts you in jeopardy of having a federal felony conviction on yep. your hands, um, which only turns the shit tornado potentially into a shit hurricane. Uh, so, well, let's talk about that. And General Berger standing there, right? as the as the front man for all of this um whether he wants to be or not right uh his advocacy of 
uh, his uh, his changes to the Marine Corps. Uh, it appears that his heir apparent, uh, who's been his chief advocate around the Pentagon and, and in Congress, is Lieutenant General Eric Smith. Does all of that? So this is a question for all three. Does all that get put in danger because he? I mean. So the, here's what the, I expect. The, the I shit, Herg, as you the, the shit tsunami that's coming, and, and let me tell you what Marine Corps does really good. We understand public affairs, and whether we do it well or not is not the question. But nobody spends as much time contemplating their own image as the United States Marine Corps does, and they know what's coming. So, is all you know, that at I, risk? I I think what's going to happen is the commandant is going to say we're going to do the right thing. Right <laughs> I, I agree. What? I agree. Can I stop? Right, I didn't get my turn yet. Yeah, and the right thing is going to be. Yeah, you cannot let this go. Yes, you must Can maintain I? good order and discipline. Hold on, hold on. Stolen. Jeff just said. Jeff, Jeff just 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 said I haven't gotten my turn yet. Yes, I haven't. <laughs> Will is stealing my thunder. I was going to. I'll just say he, I agree with him. He he is exactly right. As much as we hate it. As much as it's going to kill all those guys up there, they may actually, the right, the smart thing to do may actually be the fucking right thing to do in this case. So here's the thing. It's not a planning thing, so branches and sequels don't count, but it's like a movie, and his first movie was a hit. The sequel sucked, and in reaction to the sequel, which in which he communicated a fucking threat to our whole system of of military, you know, governance, he's got to pay, you know, he's got to, he's got to go through the system. And so I think that's what the conference is going to do the right thing. And it's going to hurt a little bit, you know, but, uh, it's like, you know, uh, it's going to be, uh, the, like when you get rabies, man, you got to take those shots right in the stomach. I think it's easier now because everything's easier now, but in the old days, <laughs> you got bit by a stray dog and the dog got away and you're a kid. You were going to get those fucking shots, man. And then they, they, oh, no, this is my dog, Fido. He's healthy as hell. Meanwhile, you just went through the worst torture you can go, you know, for rabies. So we got to put ourselves through a rabies treatment. I got to say one thing. You know why Jeff was so excited and and annoyed that he didn't get his turn yet? (laughs) You know why he didn't get his turn yet? He's old and he's he's old. He's afraid he was going to either forget. Or, or die. die. Or he <laughs> I'm like Fred Sanford. I'm coming, Elizabeth. Except Elizabeth's not up there yet for me. <laughs> yeah, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, because um, the tsunami that's going to occur, and then what price will that be? Will it simply be cosmetic damage to the hull? A little bit of paint scratched. Or will people use it as as a, a way to extract right their pound of flesh right from General Berger, um, and uh, so it would be very interesting to see what he does. Very interesting to see what he does because I, again, I don't think there's any way around doing the right thing. Um, if if when he went to mental health, if those people would have said, yeah, he's got some pretty substantial issues, you'd see the fastest med board in the history of the Marine Corps. Uh, getting him out with his with his retire medically retired with benefits and and an honorable discharge, yeah. right? But yeah, that didn't right. that that and didn't guys, that didn't go that way. You're right, Mac. I have more experience. I would wager with the mental health folks than any of the 
four of us do because they constantly fucking vector me up there every every couple months since I got blown up. Let me tell you, that's a strange fucking bunch, in my opinion. You know, they uh, so if you can, if they say you're normal, good. You know, but uh, I just uh, I'm skeptical of mental health professionals. Let me put it that way. I'd rather talk to you guys. Because you tell me, hey, you're fucked up, shut up, you know. Jeff, and yeah. we are skeptical of your mental health. <laughs> yeah. What, what is it? That's, but that's been going on for 30 years. Yeah, I know. I was yeah, we're used to it. before I got. You're I'm used to just it. a fucked up guy with an excuse. You're right, man. The, uh, do, they, do they tell you that you're normal? Well, no. They don't go that far. They don't tell anybody they're normal. But, you know, they don't know shit, man. But they know that we don't, that most people don't know they don't know shit. That's why post-traumatic winning is so much more effective than all these fucking bullshit artists they hire for fucking six figures to do the same thing and they all fail. Are you shitting me? This fucking guy, he's just a former infantry officer and this guy doing this? Fuck. (laughs) It's out of the bag, man. They're going to get run out of town on the rail. They should anyway, but you know, I don't know. I don't want to. That's a whole nother subject, Mac. It is, project. and he and he uses he uses so much profanity and it's so unprofessional. How could this <laughs> da- how could this data come out of that? Oh, you mean yeah. he's actually speaking to them? Oh, well, there's yeah. a novel. There's a novel idea. Anyway, I don't want to digress. Um, final thoughts. Uh, why I don't know how some Jeff got to go last. I mean. I mean, that was his Nightingale opportunity, if there ever was one. You you cheated me out of my time before. (laughs) I didn't didn't get my turn. I didn't get my turn. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, okay, piss boy. Come and take your turn. That uh, was it, man. I mean, I don't want to get – it's a solemn time because this is our last EO podcast, right? So, uh, no. No, uh, the last Neo podcast was yesterday. The feeling of regret and the feeling of – this didn't have to go this way with a little bit of forethought, a little bit of, you know, planning. And, but, you know, that's it. I just regret that. And I'm looking forward to next week. I'm going to have a whole week to think about this. I'm actually going to actually think about it every fucking day. What else are we been thinking about, really, since the last time we all left our time, you know, either in Afghanistan or Iraq, right? It's all you think about every fucking day, really. All right. Timmy, bottom thought? I don't think there's any way to calibrate how how badly this will hurt us in the future. We don't know the ramifications of this uh, this, this abject failure at the at the national command level, and um, I I I think I can leave it at that. We don't know. I would I would like to think that those who are guilty will be punished, but that is a naivete, and um, I think we just got to 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 swallow this shit sandwich and drive on and. That's all we can do because we're doomed. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think that the, uh, the sort of the competence and uh, just the character of a lot of people pretty well exposed in the last week or so. Uh, you expect the president's secretary, press secretary to lie to your face, but boy, she did it in spades. Uh, John Kirby, retired rear admiral, just lied to your face in spades. Um, General Milley, I think, lied to our face. Uh, 
it's funny, I don't remember uh, Secretary Austin really having a whole lot to say in public recently. And, and the president lied to our face in spades. A week and a half ago, we're going to get all the Americans out. This week, it's a great, great success, even though we didn't get all the Americans out. And so you see competence and character that, that you know, all the partisan political people during the campaign last year and all through the spring, yada, yada, yada. But this is really undeniable when the facts just lay out and the video is right there. So we'll see if it matters. I don't know if it does or not. We'll see. Um, and, and, I, and I think, uh, you know, Tim probably said it best. We don't know the, the true ramifications of the of the whole Afghan fiasco yet. It'll play out for the rest of our lives. So. Yeah, the, I, the only thing I would add is, is what I said before, and that, I mean, the worst failure is the failure that is preventable and the failure that you inflict on yourself. And th- this was both. And um, and you, we're, we're watching it. I'm looking at a picture here uh, in Kabul of people lining up to try to get money out of bank accounts. The line is, I, I can't even tell you how long the line up is. It's, it's massive, and they'll never get any money out of there. But, I mean, the desperation to, to what? Get money to buy food, to buy water, to, you know, to exist. And so you look at that that we've inflicted, and that will unfold here. And we will see what, we will see what happens there. And those are grave consequences. Those are grave human consequences for failed, you know, leadership in the world. And it's uh, pretty pathetic because, you know, again, I said it before, but, you know, when you've been around the world, you see the role that the United States plays. And it's, 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 it's a, a really, really important role on this planet. And nobody else can play it. And so when you see it fucked up at this level, right, on this scale, and we're diminished, that is not good for the planet. It is not good for the planet. So on that note, boys, I appreciate your uh, your words and your thought, uh, you know, going into this. And uh, thank you very much. Hey, hey, no problem, Mac. I just want to add to our Afghan listeners, we're still trying. Don't give up hope. We'll, we'll, we're still working on seeing what can be done. So I just wanted to leave it with that because we have a few. Got it. All right. Thank you. Have a great day, boys. All righty. Yep. On this Wednesday, that'll do it. Thanks for listening. Um, thanks to everybody again who's uh, who's taking the time to you know send a note. Uh, certainly appreciate it. I forward all that to uh, Tim, Will, and Jeff. And uh, you know, I, there's two people that two groups that come to mind: the Gold Star families. Right, we added 13 names to that roster, and I think we all feel that they didn't have to be added. Uh, but there's over 2,000 Gold Star families from Afghanistan. Uh, there's a whole bunch of families, maybe two and a half times 
that, who've had people come home and commit suicide. And then there's the Afghan population that awaits its, its fate in a country that we went in and said that we would change. So if you want to, if you're looking for people to keep in your thoughts and prayers, uh, there's a whole bunch of them right there. Uh, so have a great Wednesday. Uh, don't forget, if you know somebody who served there or a veteran who's struggling, I got, had a long conversation with a Vietnam veteran yesterday who said this has really put me in a bad place. It brings back a lot of bad memories, right? And here we didn't learn from it. We did it again, right? And watching these families and, you know, it just has made me really angry. And I'm getting worse. So as, uh, so don't be afraid to reach out to Vietnam veterans. Ask them, hey, man, how you doing? And, you know, again, just... You know, I heard somebody last night in my post-traumatic winning seminar say, I I am my brother's keeper. So uh, be your brother's keeper, be your sister's keeper, and uh, and give a shit. Stick your hand out and say, how you doing? And for those of you that struggle, when somebody who you're close with says that, do not lie to them. Tell them the truth. And that that opens the door uh, to a better place. Don't fake it with your best friends. Don't lie to them. Right? If you don't isolate yourself, I'm going to tell you this, you can get through anything. But the key to it is don't fake it with your best friend. When you're struggling, tell them. On that note, I'm Mike McNamara, this is All Marine Radio. Have a great Wednesday. And uh, keep all those people in your prayers. They'll certainly need them. I'm out.